Hey, on the show today, we are reviewing an episode in which Neelix becomes suicidal, and we just wanted to give a heads up if anyone is sensitive to that as a topic. And I would like to encourage you, if you are in a bad place right now, to give a call to the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. It's 800-273-8255. World is a better place with you in it. I really mean that. And I hope you enjoy the show. Here's to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Watch your back, son. I'm Luke. I'm Captain Captain Janeway, the USS Voyager. Captain Captain Janeway, the USS Voyager. Welcome to The Greatest Generation. It's a Star Trek podcast by a couple of guys who are just a little bit embarrassed to have a Star Trek podcast. I'm Ben Harrison. I'm Adam Pranica. How you doing, Adam? I had the weirdest thing happened to my pipes yesterday. Is it just turning into a plumbing podcast? Yeah. <laughs> Our Marin is going to be nothing but homeowner issues. <laughs> so you used to live in a very densely populated New York neighborhood where you had many neighbors in one building sharing yeah. what I assume is going to be many pipes. My last apartment was in a building where there were nine other apartments. I live in a place where there are four other townhomes, uh-huh. and we're all connected. All the walls touch. Yeah. All the sewers flow together. Your turds co-mingling with your neighbor's turds. Here's what I don't know about, man. We just got back from a weekend away. We took a long weekend out of the house. Yeah. We get back yesterday afternoon, and I'm hearing a gurgle. Mm. And the gurgle I'm hearing is not my own tum. <laughs> it's coming from the kitchen sink. I'm like, oh, that's weird. Like, and I don't see anything. I'm just hearing a gurgle below. Is it like the kind of gurgle that you get when you turn on the dishwasher? Yes. Yes. But the dishwasher was not on. And I just noted, I'm like, that's interesting. And then I check the bathroom that's on that same level. Nothing untoward mm-hmm. in the sink or the toilet. There isn't a, a gremlin taking a shit in there. <laughs> I pay it no mind. I, I take off. I, I go walk the pupper. Mm. And when I come back, my sink is half full of brown water. Uh. <laughs> My kitchen sink. It is so gnarly. It is gross as hell. <laughs> Keep in mind, it's like 530. It's like I should be thinking about what I'm making for dinner, and now I've got a problem. And yeah. this is a problem that makes using the kitchen impossible. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, fuck. Things are going far worse for your kitchen than it's generally known. Flip on the disposal, start running some water. The water goes down. Uh-huh. The water goes down. Hey, that's Great. good. That's the direction you want that water to go. It goes all the way down. Turn off the water, turn off the disposal. It comes back up. What? <laughs> Even higher than it did before. Whoa. That has never happened before. Like if there's a stoppage... Or your disposal's blocked, like you could just uh, take out the trap and like empty the blockage and you're done. I've never seen the water reappear. Yeah. I think if it's me at that point, I get a sheet of steel and a TIG welder and I just like encase the sink. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and we just don't have a sink in the kitchen anymore. I, I woke up and I chose fix it. <laughs> so I, I go and get uh, you got to get a bucket if you're working under the sink Ben yeah so I grab a bucket and I get uh, a bunch of towels towels and tarps out of the bedroom how much stuff 
you're just such a tidy guy. I bet the underside of your sink is like completely organized and squared away. It totally is, man. I've got, uh, <laughs> this is a product that I should hip you to there. I think it's the people who make the WeatherTech mats for your car. Uh-huh. Have you seen these? Like they're, they're hardened plastic rubber. Yeah. Like I had these up in Seattle where it's very wet. You bring your muddy ass feet into the car instead of putting it on a soft carpet, you got something you can hose off. Right. That company or companies like it make an under the sink version of that (laughs) that purportedly can hold like five gallons of water just based on its height of its ridges. Right. So I'm like, oh, this is a great idea. I got one of those and it's where I set all of my cleaners and garbage bags and all that under there. And it also acts as a like stopgap if there's a leak, it's going to hold some gallons. So that's the answer to your question. Of course, it's super sorted out under that sink. (laughs) Take everything out, put it on the counter, getting ready to operate. Like hands are going in to the body. Mm -hmm. And then I hear the sound, the sound of my next door neighbor's garbage disposal going off. Mm. And then all of the water drains out of my kitchen sink. What? Our kitchen sinks are connected somehow. They must be connected within the walls. They're that's like, what I'm saying. Yeah, because that's not coming from the sewer then. So I, I shoot them a text and I'm like, hey, is your sink stopped up? And they're like, hey, yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> they're like, where are you? What are you looking at? <laughs> but we just fixed the problem. And I was like, I know. And they were like, how do you know? (laughs) And I said, I think our sinks are connected. And they're like, that seems impossible. How is that possible? So then I shoot a text over to the longest living resident of our complex who's lived here for like 30 years. Wow. Have you ever heard of this? Our sinks being connected. And she's like, yeah, all the time. Your unit and your neighbor, weirdly connected kitchen sinks, could never figure it out. So that's just uh, <laughs> that's just the situation over there. Every once in a while, your backup will be their backup, and their backup will be your backup, mm. and that's how it is. Wow! I could not believe that. Yeah, that doesn't seem like a thing. Seems like it wouldn't pass. You know, when the inspector comes, <laughs> they're going to have a problem with the <laughs> sinks from two different units are interconnected. I want to get rich, dude. This is what I should ask. This is your ask this, this is old ask house? this old house question for Rich Trithui. Damn, yes. I'm going to do it. Do you think they'll come this far west? Can you get Trithui all the way out here? Trithui has been in a lot of hot utility rooms underneath yeah. houses. I bet the heat doesn't turn him off. Yeah, he can deal with it. He was also in an extremely hot Motown museum <laughs> dancing that one time. That's a must stop for any tourist in Detroit. Also, Rich Trithui. Super comfortable being sweaty on camera in a way that I find admirable. He's totally yeah. coming to LA. I almost just want to buy a Roku so that I can watch that episode again where he goes to the Motown Museum. <laughs> it sucks because the PBS app only has the most recent season or two. You can't go yeah. back in time the way you used to. Because Roku bought it all. That would explain why sometimes when you go to an Airbnb and you get a TV without cable, it's just like the baked in Roku cable. Yeah. You get the This Old House station and that's all they show in a loop. That's all they got. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> yeah. That's perfect Airbnb programming for me. Don't you love having vacation sex against a loop of This Old House playing <laughs> at top volume on a flat screen TV? What'd you find up there? Well, a bit of a surprise. <laughs> that is back, Wano. 
<laughs> you know what? I'm so glad that this Marin was more than a story and was a course of action. I am going to send that in to ask this old house. That rules. That rules. If you get connected with them, I'm going to come over and watch the production. I would just be so fucking thrilled for you. Is my question disqualifying because I'm not in a house and instead in a townhouse? Like you never see them go to places that aren't freestanding, right? Yeah, but I feel like they're trying to kind of like undo some of that lately. The single family home stigma? Yeah. Mm. They did like a the Dorchester triple, you know? <laughs> <laughs> You'd know that that is a sex position in uh, <laughs> suburban Massachusetts. <laughs> I convinced Maddie O'Shaughnessy to do a Dutchester triple with me. <laughs> Trust me, you don't want to open up a relationship like that too early. <laughs> well, Adam, do you want to open up an episode like this? I really do. Thinking a lot about death lately, Ben. Mm. I don't know about mm. you. This episode really really hits at the right time, doesn't it? I don't know why. Are you sick? <laughs> no. <laughs> you okay? Is everything all right, Adam? I tried to give it a little bit of uh, a bit of intention going into the episode. Sometimes we just pivot in and it's like falling into a hole in the street. Oh, yeah. Like it, it just happens to happen. Yeah. So instead you just want to like drop a massive bummer on our list <laughs> on our way into the episode. <laughs> Been thinking a lot about death lately because mine is imminent. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows, Ben? It's Star Trek Voyager Season 4, Episode 12, Mortal Coil. Reverse course. Unless you've got something a little bigger in your torpedo tubes. I'm not turning around. <laughs> Neelix is freshening up Ensign Kim in a good way. Yeah. Potent stuff. Yeah. Thanks. He gets topped <laughs> off. Yeah. The way you want to be in any diner environment. He gets hot coffee that isn't uh, making his face warp and blood come out of his nose. I can't remember a scene on Star Trek Voyager where a character was happy with what Neelix was giving them to consume. Can you? It felt noteworthy. It felt like, you know, a character winning the lottery in a movie and you know that they're going to get run over by a car in the next scene, you know? This is that, isn't it? It's totally that. Yeah. And Neelix is walking on sunshine at this point. <laughs> Enter Chakotay with even better news. Yeah. He's like, Neelix, how would you like to come on a on a shuttlecraft mission to go up inside of a nebula filled with protomatter? And Neelix is like, I don't know. Are you driving the shuttle? <laughs> that could be kind of a problem. Yeah. You have a reputation. And Chakotay's like, well, I'll just be there to provide moral support. Paris will be in the pilot seat. Right. And Neelix is like, all right, I'm in. My presence may not be a signifier of any imminent danger yeah. that I know he's of. He's like, you know all about proto-matter, right, Neelix? And he's like, yeah, great stuff. You know, never caused a problem as far as I know. <laughs> Unfortunately, I am the leading mind in the field of proto-matter on this Federation starship. <laughs> At your service commander. Yeah. Also, I'm doing prep for dinner tonight. Yeah. You think that uh, they're considering setting off a Genesis device in the cargo bay where Seven sleeps? <laughs> Turning it into a, a cave full of uh, apples and grass? What would a Genesis device do to the alcove? I don't know. Would would her implants just fall from her body? Wow. From her birdie? <laughs> yeah, I guess so. I mean, but also her birdie would too. They'd be replaced with apples. It just resequences all of the matter, right? Yeah. 
That's why it's a super weapon from the Klingon perspective. Neelix is like, look, Chakotay, as long as I'm back in time for Prixim, yeah. it's all good. It's all good. Prixim, the most important holiday in Talaxian culture. Right. It's also food-centered, which is not unlike every other Talaxian holiday that we know about, right? Yeah. Speaking of food, seven of nine, not interested in the shit that Neelix is cooking up for her. Bon appetit. It's just another one of these, like, the food is bad scenes, but Neelix never picks up on that. He only hears the compliments. He never hears the slights. I mean, I wish we were more like Neelix in that way. Yeah. Neelix reads the comments and doesn't feel a thing. He's like, these guys love this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Look how many listeners we got. It's too piquant for seven, right? Yeah. They are pungent. She's into the bland food. Yeah. You know? She's new to taste. That's yeah. the problem. You got to ease your way in, you know? Like kids are like interested in limited amounts of flavors, right? And then when you get older, you're like, ah, oh, I like the spicy mustard. <laughs> Not the yellow shit. There's like five separate drags on Neelix's attention in this cold open. Seriously. Finally, Ensign Wildman is one of them. And she's like, hey, your goddaughter can't sleep. You know what you need to do is take off your apron and do that thing you do all the time. Yeah. Read her the bedtime story or what have you. We haven't seen Naomi Wildman since she was a little baby. I have to say I had forgotten about her existence. Really? <laughs> and I did not recognize her when I saw her. Yeah. She's like, I do not know how old a kid looks just by looking at them. I looked at Naomi Wildman in the scene and I'm like, how did they get to be like three? <laughs> and then I read in the notes that like due to her being a half Katarian, that like she ages a lot faster, and so she's supposed to look like a seven-year-old. I could not tell the difference between a three-year-old and a seven-year-old. She's supposed to look like a seven-year-old? Yeah, I have age blindness. I'm about to be a parent, and that is rocking my world right now. That's what seven is? Yeah. She's seven! <laughs> <laughs> no, Naomi Wildman's eight. If you like me, get <laughs> Can you stay longer? I'm afraid to go to sleep. How did the Wildmans get such a great setup on the ship, too? She's just an ensign. Yeah. I don't think BLT has windows in her quarters. If you have a kid, though, you know, Starfleet takes care of you. It's pretty messed up. I think it's anti-Mayquise sentiment. Mayquise? Mm, yeah. At play there, the Mayquise don't get windows. Yeah. I mean, BLT should think about having a kid. <laughs> That's the solution to the problem. She'll get a way better quarters. I think Paris brings that up a lot. Off screen. <laughs> Am I making any sense here? So the, the bedtime routine with Naomi Wildman is all about clearing the space for monsters. And then Neelix is telling her about this like great forest that you get to go to when you die, when you're a Talaxian and all your friends and family are there. And Naomi's like, wow, that's where you go when you die. And he's like, no, well, not you, me. You know, you're not Talaxian. You're not really, you're not welcome in the great forest. I don't know uh, what it is your people are into. <laughs> in the afterlife. I can only tell you what mine is like because stories of death and what happens when you die are like really the best ones before bed because they don't invite any follow-up questions. Right. Seven-year-olds love this shit. <laughs> you look to be seven to me. It seems like you could take a story like this. <laughs> you're growing up. You're getting a little more sophisticated. Here's death. <laughs> <laughs> Pleasant dreams. This isn't Neelix's last stop for the evening either. He walks on over to the cargo bay. Yeah. Chats up seven. Got to find that uh, containment vessel for the proto matter. He finds it while 
talking to her about the Kazon. Boy, the biggest slam yet on the Kazon is that the Borg pulled up on a Kazon ship and said, mm, not for us. They're like the uh, assimilation equivalent of being an incel. Are you an <laughs> inassimilator? <laughs> if you're the Kazon? <laughs> They're super butthurt about it. Yeah. <laughs> and project all of that out onto society. It's their fault, not mine. Just a ship full of Chicutis <laughs> and Stevens. <laughs> I know you don't want to do it. Do it. Coffee black. Make it yourself. I'm trying to help you see this as an opportunity to grow. Make it yourself. Is there even a night before the shuttle mission? I'm just blown away by how much Neelix has to do in this cold open because we cut to the shuttle and he's on it. Yeah. Maybe it's the next day, but I loved the effect of this nebula. It looked cool as hell. And the shuttle looked cool driving toward it. I really love all of these scenes. Yeah, it's very post-Hubble space telescope design on these images. Something about the nebula's construction makes it feel very close in a way that the gassy kind feels always very in the distance. Right. Yeah, like everything that's close to the shuttle feels like it is like dangerous. And it turns out it really is because they're going to beam some protomatter into his uh, Nalgene bottle that he brought. Mm -hmm. And they start beaming it in and a bunch of wharf lightning starts shooting out of this tendril of the nebula. And one of them goes right through the front windshield of their bunk bed and catches Neelix in the chest. This nebula didn't secure its load. <laughs> it went right through. Yeah. RSVP Neelix. He's dead. Paris and Chakotay's expressions here are not exactly sad. I replayed this scene over and over again. Just trying to grab onto any sort of expression of shock or grief or whatever. None of that is present in this moment. So sad. Well, it's a good thing Neelix will never be able to see the faces that they made (laughs) at the moment of his death. (laughs) Yeah. Paris is like doing whatever the tricorder equivalent is of pounding on Neelix's chest, telling him not to go into the light. Yeah. And Chakotay is like, look, man, you got a shuttle to pilot. I clearly can't be the one to drive this thing around. Bad things happen when I'm at the wheel. I thought this scene was so weird because Chakotay is like telling Paris a bunch of medical things to do. It's like, Chakotay, you don't work in Six Bay. Paris does. Like, what are you even doing here, man? Like, you're fucking useless when it comes to piloting the shuttle. You're getting in his way with the medical intervention here. Get off the shuttle. I thought the same thing. I thought maybe the page in the script was mislabeled (laughs) and the character should have been swapped. That makes a ton more sense. Yeah. They swapped pages. Man. They swapped sides. Right. It's a real changing sides situation. (laughs) Yeah. Neelix looks really dead. Yeah. And when we cut back to the ship, it's like the shuttle is like missing. It's not like they headed right back and got him into six bay. It's like we've got a missing shuttlecraft issue. They had to fire a communication buoy. <laughs> I mean, they say beacon on the episode, but you and I know what that is. It's a bois. Prepare a buoy and launch it when ready. Warning buoys. An emergency buoy. A warning buoy. Like, do they really have two different things? No. Yeah. They're all bois. Oh, you shot a beacon? No, 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 no. You should have shot a buoy. Yeah. They're too... (laughs) Come on. Give me a break, Star Trek. Does this show think we're stupid or something? It's like calling them deflector screens, you know? It's like, we know what shields are. Yeah. You can't treat those terms like they're interchangeable. 
you can't have a lot of hope of recovering this shuttle knowing that Chakotay's on it, right? Right. Voyager doesn't know what happened over there, but geez. Yeah. This is a pattern of shuttle behavior here that is suspicious. They get everybody beamed directly to Six Bay, and fortunately, the EMH did not leap into an autopsy on Neelix, because yeah. they're standing around his body, and he's like, so... He's super dead, and he's been dead for a long time. What should we do about that? And they're starting to like put plans together for honoring the death traditions of his culture when Seven is like, um, that sounds like a drag. Why don't we just bring him back to life? <laughs> I love the wry kind of attitude in this scene of like, this one-lunged motherfucker sure did mean a lot to people. Let's, um, <laughs> I don't know, give him a week-long mess hall event. Yeah. It's what he would have wanted because he rarely left the mess hall. He sort of planned it already and we can just convert it from being a thing about the Prixen celebration to a thing about him and then <laughs> we never have to talk about Prixen again. What's great is uh, he already did all the me's. Like it's yeah. ready to go. <laughs> It's all in the fridge with saran wrap over it. We just pull it out and get it going. Yeah. Seven's idea is nanoprobe transfusion using her own blood. Yeah. Is this just cruelty to the rest of the crew? To to wake him up again? To, to get Neelix back? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know, man. Everybody's a little bit suspicious of this, but Paris is in the corner and he kind of goes, I say we let her try. And everybody goes, no! <laughs> There's a little bit of scrutiny about like what would happen if you stuck Seven's nanoprobes into Neelix. And I think it could have used a few more beats of like, so we're definitely sure he's not going to turn into a Borgs, right? <laughs> and I feel like the person to ask that question is Chakotay. Yeah. Chakotay should really dig into that because he's been one before. He would be a great person to put that fear into but that's not where this episode goes it's no it's really an episode on a mission we want to get back to neelix being alive after death yeah pretty quickly because the story is about that i love that janeway is is like is this a pet cemetery situation or do we get neelix actual once you wake him up <laughs> it may look like that person but it ain't that person. Yeah. That was a question I had too. Like his brains are turning into pudding in there. Yeah. The longer we talk about this. This is another moment where I wanted to know like, what's the smell situation like yep. at this point? Is the body starting to go off? Yeah. Like how far gone is he? Is it going to be like a Frankenstein's monster situation where like his face is always going to look like that? <laughs> Hello, handsome. Which I was hoping for. Yeah. That would have been nice. But um, yeah. The next scene is like the EMH and Seven doing the procedure and they're like worried it's not working, working on a computer away from the bio bed and turn around and Neelix has sat up and is like, well, <laughs> how did I get over here? Well, I mean, he's flopping around for a while too. It's not just a straight line between death and life. Yeah. Like they've got to mess with the uh, ingredients a bit to get him there. Yeah. It sort of seemed like it was failing when he like mm -hmm. came back, you know? Kind of a weird misdirect. The triumphant moment of like, Neelix, congratulations. No one's been as dead as long as you have. <laughs> it stuck out to me that the doctor said world record. Yeah. World record is meaningless in Star Trek. It should be like a Federation record or a galaxy record or something. If you could only hear yourselves. I was learning about this medical procedure that's like named after the American that discovered it. And it uh -huh. was like, she learned it. 
from a Guatemalan woman. <laughs> it was like, okay, so why did they name it after her? Like, why didn't they name it after the Guatemalan lady? <laughs> yeah. That's some shit right there. Yeah. Some fucked up shit. Anyways. So no one anywhere has ever been as dead as long as Neelix has been before being alive again. Except for the people that figured out how to do it, that the Borgs assimilated, that right. Seven borrowed the technology from. Now that he's up and awake, he's ready to go back to work. Yeah. Immediately. Am I good as new? He uh, is not super psyched about the nanoprobes element of the treatment that he's been subjected to. Yeah. But uh, he's like, well, I guess, uh, I guess if that's what it takes. This sequence was confusing to me because Janeway walks off screen with Neelix and he's wearing his gown, like his six bay gown. And then we get an exterior interstitial and then we're in a corridor, but Neelix is fully clothed again. Yeah. Did Janeway clothe him? <laughs> I'm afraid so. Like a tailor helping you get a jacket on? Yeah. I don't know. I mean, she didn't want to walk down the hall with that weird hospital gown that shows your butt if you're not careful. Right. Right. Well, Janeway is like, uh, welcome back to life. Your mission was a failure. <laughs> yeah, we did not get the proto matter. He's still like, you know, eager to solve for proto matter, but uh, also like he's got a lot on his plate. Like Prixen's coming up, man. You're still doing Prixen, right? I mean, I know you were dead for longer than anyone's ever been dead yeah. before being woken up again. But I mean, there is kind of a lot of prepped food yeah. in the mess hall refrigerator. And uh, last year, some of it didn't agree with me personally. So if you could kind of rework some of your recipes that would be great neelix janeway's sitting in a shuttlecraft outside of voyager watching neelix prepare for prixum <laughs> shut this place down <laughs> your walk-in is growing mushrooms <laughs> you're poisoning people this stress test is the biggest failure we've ever had on the show <laughs> So she drops him off. He's like, uh, it's like the end of a date where they get to his door and he's like, uh, well, <laughs> this is me. Yeah. Do you want to come up for coffee? And she's like, oh, it would keep me up. No, thank you. And so she keeps walking. I don't want coffee. How much did you want to see a little makeshift memorial outside of his door? Oh, like. I mean, he was dead for 18 hours, right? Yeah. I probably don't replicate flowers till like 24 hours have passed, though. I mean, here's a dark question, Ben. Replicator rations are are precious. Mm. Do you choose good meal for yourself or flowers for the dead? Damn. I mean, I feel like Neelix would have wanted me to have a bad meal. So, <laughs> so out of respect, <laughs> replicating him flowers. Also, as we learn in this episode, there is no afterlife and the dead won't care anyway. So I think I'm, I'm going to choose good meal. Yeah. I'm not going to choose flowers. Neelix goes into his quarters. You took the flowers. From Neelix's doorway? <laughs> Put him back! <laughs> he gets into his quarters and it, it becomes clear that he's kind of been putting on a brave face for everyone else's benefit. This uh, is a real dark scene, but he says one thing to the space in the scene in his quarters, which is he talks to his sister and asks why she wasn't there. 
And uh, it's pretty clear that he did not have the afterlife experience that he was hoping for. No. Well, that's legitimately disappointing. Really sad. No, I mean, he's had a bag over his head and uh, a belt to the doorknob a bunch of times. And he's felt more than he felt in that 18 hours of death. (laughs) He didn't get the big pop he was expecting. Yeah. It sucks. Well, sometimes that is better. Elsewhere, Seven of Nine and Tuvok are discussing death. He couldn't see the forest for the ropes. (laughs) I'm glad we went back for that. We needed that. Yeah. That needs to be in this. Yeah. Do not cut that out. <laughs> Our course is locked in. Do it. Listen to me very carefully because I'm only going to say this once. Do it. This is an interesting conversation between two people who don't have a lot of strong feelings about much. Yeah. And by the end of it, you get the sense that Seven does have very strong feelings yeah. about this. Fear of death as a topic. Mm-hmm. Maybe the two characters least likely to discuss it. and. Yeah, like one of them is like, yeah, well, uh, I'll wind up in a Katra cave somewhere. Mm -hmm. It's going to be fine for me. Yeah. Seven is like, these memories will be lost, but the good ones from before I was de-assimilated, those live on with the collective. When I was hearing Seven describe how our consciousness would live forever, it made me think about how similar it would be to our show. Mm. As long as there's an internet. Yeah. As long as anyone pays the host. Yeah. These shows will last forever. Wow. For time immemerium. That must be a great relief. That's really kind of horrifying in a certain right? way. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to outlive us both for thousands of years. Yeah. Those aliens from uh, Arena yeah. are going to be the only ones familiar with what we do. Yeah. They're going to be like, your culture is too primitive. You can't join us. You are still half savage. <laughs> yeah. But there is hope. This last moment with Seven I thought was really great. Jerry Ryan doesn't get a lot of opportunities, I think, to express complex feelings and this was one of those moments that really made me sit up and and appreciate her as an actor yeah the next scene is chakotay and paris working with blt on like they're going to take another crack at getting some proto matter and they want to run a simulation in the holodeck to like try and figure out what went wrong the first time like they're thinking maybe it was the transporter beam itself that like ignited the proto matter on fire or something so What they've got is basically the black box recording of the accident and they boot it up in the holodeck and Chakotay and Neelix go in there and watch it and they erase the character of Chakotay from the recording but don't erase the characters of Neelix or Paris. So it's (laughs) a very funny composition of Chakotay, Paris and a couple of Neelixes experiencing this again. I couldn't stop shaking my head. Like you see this car crash coming. (laughs) From a mile away. Yeah. And it is so awkward. I was like, what are you doing, Chakotay? He he doesn't have a lot of empathy in this moment. Yeah. I mean, he wasn't there in the dark room with Neelix when it was revealed what's eating him. So maybe he didn't want the recording of himself to be there because he knows that his face will betray how excited he is when... <laughs> He looks gets rocketed across the room by a bolt of lightning. That is really funny. <laughs> he knows he was insufficiently emotional at the time yeah. of Neelix's death, and he's like, "Well, uh, I'm gonna. I need a place to sit, so I need to remove the hollow version of me." <laughs> Neelix, you're fine there, right? We're definitely gonna keep the Paris hollow. Yeah, 
we need to f- see what happened with those two guys, but I wasn't really involved in this, so. Just to be clear, Paris's reaction is hyper-realistic, and what you see on his face is exactly what he went through. Yeah. So, when the Neelix character in the simulation gets killed, this is a, a big, sad moment for Neelix, and he goes in and crouches over the body and confides in Jakote that he was very disappointed that when he was dead for 18 hours, he did not find himself in the Great Forest, and uh, he didn't see all the, all the family members and stuff. He did not experience the Great Rope. Yeah. There was nothing. Chakotay's like, Neelix, uh, in your religion, like, how many people do you need to give diarrhea before you're disqualified from going from, to the Great Forest? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's so much that's strange about this scene. I think it clangs intentionally. Yeah. I mean, like, Neelix is not a jester, you know, but right. he is the comic relief. So it is kind of, there is sort of a tears of the clown element to the way this feels, but it feels like super intense in a way that I felt like the scene was so weird. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I, I'm not being articulate, but I feel like I sound like an idiot saying that. But no, you're right. Like when the emotional core of your show is made to be the subject of some sort of trauma and everyone else is revealed to be like not as emotional as the person experiencing those things, the effect can be kind of monstrous. Yeah. Everyone else just seems very uncaring. Yeah, I think that might be it. And and like nobody seems to have noticed really. Like even after this, like they have the big pricks in party. For some reason, Tuvok is the one doing the toast. Yeah. <laughs> Which- and Neelix is doing that thing where he just keeps himself busy in the kitchen during a thing that's supposed to be for him. It's his big day. It's his big celebration. Chakotay looks like he's wearing a tweed couch. <laughs> All of these costumes are incredible. Yeah. Everybody has like one civilian outfit on board. And for some yeah. reason, these are them. They look so thick. Yeah. They really do. Yeah. It looks sweaty. They... They really had to crank the air conditioning in the studio when they shot these scenes. Tuvok's toast includes a real Old Testament style begat runner mm. that uh, everyone finds very funny. Yeah. Tuvok's like, Prixin is normally something I have to tell to Pell when we are being intimate with each other. But in Neelix's culture, it's also a holiday. That kills. Thank you. <laughs> They love that stuff. Yeah. I mean, Neelix can't even give a speech when he's solicited to do one. Instead, the simple thanks is what telegraphs how bad he's feeling. Yeah. This is the worst Prixen ever. Let's just admit it. Yeah. I mean, it's tough when you you go into a Prixen with your expectations so high. Classic mistake. Yeah. That's setting it up for failure, you know? Yeah. It's funny that the thing that serves as comic relief here is Seven mingling with Ensign Wildman and the Doctor and <laughs> regaling them with the story of what happens with yeah. Borg's children? <laughs> it's big fun. I like that the EMH is like intrigued and excited by this. Yeah. They should have been talking the whole time. Ensign Wildman is like, just walks away going, <laughs> I love that the suggestion here is that Seven's the drunk person at the party. Kind of is, yeah. You know, who does the big mistake. Yeah. So she and the EMH are just uh, off and running with that line of inquiry. And Ensign Wildman 
goes over to Neelix and is like, um, <laughs> so uh, I know you've like been dead and shit, but the kid is, is like cannot be convinced to go to sleep without you clearing the room for monsters. So if you could kind of get back on the schedule with that, that would be great for all of us. Only Neelix can tuck me in. I want Neelix. <laughs> Sounds familiar. Hey, Ensign Wildman, how dumb is Naomi to be believing in monsters as clearly a seven-year-old <laughs> when in Star Trek you could forensically scan her entire bedroom to prove without yeah. a shred of doubt that there are no monsters yeah. there. Yeah, she doesn't trust tricorders. Wouldn't wouldn't you sleep so great as a little kid if you were afraid of the dark or whatever if you knew that the computer was scanning for monsters at all times? No entities detected. Yeah, that'd be great. Urine detected. <laughs> Damn it! Fuck! <laughs> it's scanning for monsters and urine? Oh, man. Mom! Objection noted. We'll do this without you. Do it. Get do it. Get do it. Objection noted. We'll do this without you. Do it. Get do it. Get do it. Do it. Naomi, when Neelix uh, gets back to Tucker in, really forces the great forest issue, which is... You know, another character just not being sensitive to what Neelix is going through right now. Yeah. I was also wondering, like, is Ensign Wildman cool with her daughter sort of being raised in the Talaxian religion? Like, yeah, very open minded, Ensign Wildman. It does sort of seem like Neelix is kind of pushing a belief system on her. <laughs> Maybe the Katarian belief system is so crazy that Neelix's Talaxian version is like, it's like super an benign and chill. Yeah. yeah. Like, uh, <laughs> You know, when she's a teenager, God help us if she looks up Katarian <laughs> religion in the ship's computer. So uh -huh. I'm going to do everything I can to just get this like lovable forest imp yeah. to uh, <laughs> impress his religion on her. Yeah. He does not have the spirit of the story in him at all in its retelling. It just about puts Neelix to sleep yeah. in doing that. And because Neelix is so busy, this isn't the end of his day. He pieces out of the mess hall party to go do the bedtime story, and then he has to come back and clean up his own party. Yeah, it sucks. You telling me Ensign Kim wouldn't stick around to help clean? Come on, Ensign Kim. He's considerate. Chummy, chummy. And your mom? Very proud. Harry Kim. Who are you? Harry Kim. The one person on the crew I would give a pass is Paris, because he's got like double shifts. You know, He's working right. as the helmsman and as the nurse. Yeah. Everybody else, throw a couple of things in the garbage on your way out, you know? Like when I was a kid and we had recess sometimes and the like yard attendants would be like, everybody pick up five pieces of trash and throw them away. Oh man, you know? I bet you picked up like 40 pieces of trash, didn't you? Yeah. That's why they knew I was such a good boy. Hey Ben, that wasn't a playground attendant. <laughs> <laughs> so... <laughs> While he is doing this cleanup, Seven comes to uh, wave a light over him and check on how the nanoprobes are doing in his body. He is a little worried that they may have stolen his humanity. Why the very name is racist. Yeah. And he is... Uh, he fucking flips out, man. Pretty animated in his feelings at Seven here. I, I didn't ask to be brought back. You were dead at the time. Do you think that it's his flip out that causes the nanoprobes to stop working? It sure seems that way. I was thinking it was like going to be a he's starting to assimilate because of the high, like uh, the high amount of emotional yeah. hormones in his system. But uh, I don't think that's quite what it is. But it did kind of look Borgy when he starts going necrotic. 
This is a great, great Ethan Phillips episode. And for many scenes, that's the truth. But for this one specifically, I think because this is a meltdown that is, I I think, so often associated with a substance abuse thing, Mm. like the energy he brings to it. Yeah, that lashing out and being really mean. Is yeah. that something our Star Trek characters typically do? And it really stands out. Yeah. And when given that energy, it feels so different for Star Trek and dangerous. And when Seven takes care of him during, like it just makes her seem like all the better as a character. Like it was a good moment for the both of them. It wasn't a good moment for Neelix, but it was a good acting moment for Ethan Phillips and it was a good moment for Seven in keeping her composure and being compassionate yeah. to the extent that she could be toward him in that moment. So in Six Bay, it's explained that like the probes were like not calibrated right, but they've fixed it and it seems like it's working. And they're explaining all this to the captain like, oh yeah, he's stable, but he's going to like need to recover a little bit longer. He may have to wear a thing to yeah. uh, inject nanoprobes into him from time to time. Mm-hmm. Like a patch. Yeah. <laughs> to put a nanoprobe patch on every morning. Yeah, like nanoprobes insulin is the suggestion here. And Neelix, like this sucks because they're talking about him with him in the room, but he's all by himself. And finally he calls to Chicote and he's like, look, man, I heard you got some buttons. Yeah. I think I'm ready for the buttons. That's what I need. I need to look inside myself. Will you be my vision quest chaperone? And Chicote gets in close and he's like, Almost into his nook. I was going to say, like, he is, yeah. he is nook adjacent in the real estate parlance. He gives him a warning. It's not about the buttons, though. He's like, look, man, this is a pretty flimsy backstory for me. Something that we haven't really talked about for mm. like a season or a season and a half. <laughs> and if we do this, yeah, you have to promise not to look into how we came up with this idea. You can't do any research about this. Neelix is like, all right, I promise. <laughs> and never, no matter what, ever try to look at what we're doing here through a modern lens. <laughs> Sounds great. <laughs> a very nice friend of DeSoto came up to me after one of our recent live shows in uh, New York. And he was like, hey, man, I'm Native American. And like, I know that it's like a little bit gross and weird what's going on with the Chicote character, but like he's all we've got. So like go easy on him. Yeah. <laughs> I was like That guy was cool as hell. I appreciate your perspective. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean like How sad of a position is that for so many people? Like I know. This character born from such troubling information. Yeah. From some weird guy's imagination. This is all we've got. Yeah. Need more. More of it. But also, like, what a sadly great attitude to have about it. Like, yeah, I'm not going to yeah. let Chicote ruin Star Trek for me. I mean, yeah, that's, I think what I admired about it was the perspective of, like, you know what? It's not perfect, but it's, yeah, it's also not like, it's definitely not the worst thing white people have ever done to Native Americans. That makes me feel a little better. <laughs> Thanks. And then you guys laughed and laughed. Uh huh. Yeah. And high fived. <laughs> Chicote's like, look, Neelix, get some junk. You got some junk around your quarters? Bring that junk over to mine. Yeah, put it in a bindle. Yeah. Bring your bindle. We're going to get you high. Drugs can make you feel good. Uh, I thought it was weird that they chose to do this in Chicote's quarters because I feel like if you're doing buttons, you want to like be in a place that's familiar and safe. Yeah, right. Yeah. 
but the Neelix's quarters are kind of busy. Right. Chakotay's got like the Atari DMT unit for <laughs> Neelix to touch. Yeah. And when he does, Chakotay begins the prayer. He does. He's like, all right, so here's your challenge, Neelix. Like, let the ship fall away. Like, the only thing that exists in the universe are the objects on the bindle in front of you. What you want to do is some box breathing. Yeah. And Neelix is like, I got one lung. Like, <laughs> I can basically only breathe one kind of way. Yeah. And, and Chakotay is like, all right, we'll forget the box breathing. But okay, let the ship fall away. <laughs> this is the only stuff in the universe. Now go Somewhere not the ship, somewhere far away that's a safe, happy place for you. Yeah. And Neelix shows up in the mess hall. <laughs> this poor bastard. <laughs> it's like when you've been playing Tetris all day, and when you close your eyes to fall asleep, you just see the Tetris again. Yeah. He can't not think of the mess hall. Yeah. And it's that fun dream logic where place doesn't really matter and the way you move through it. Yeah. Also, uh, cast is a little bit unusual. Elixia, mm -hmm. his deceased sister, is here talking to Janeway. Mm -hmm. The dead girl. Oh, yes, very charming. But then she, like, disappears before he can get across the room to get over to talk to her. And uh, he's, like, chasing her throughout the hallways, all over the ship. Everyone's just got, like, enormous junk. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's a cool dream in some ways. Just big floppy dicks and boobs everywhere. <laughs> Neelix, is this your idea of sex? Is this why you keep going to the mess? Why is your sister here? <laughs> <laughs> I can see the family resemblance. Elixia rightfully runs away from Neelix. Yeah, and he catches up with her in the Great Forest. Yeah. It exists. I was kind of expecting a greater forest yeah. in appearance, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, it's fine. <laughs> yeah. The forest that is fine is a little bit more cumbersome <laughs> to, to say out loud, though, you know? Yeah. Well, I've got to get that platinum, get that enlargement. <laughs> you might have heard us talk about Squarespace before, and you're thinking, what do I need a website for? I already have a bunch of profiles across the different social medias. But isn't it time you had a place online that wasn't owned by a social media company? How about you take control of your online identity with a website of your own? For that, there's Squarespace. With Squarespace, you can buy a URL and build a customized website with your name, and not a giant social media company's name, with your name attached and a bunch of numbers at the end. With Squarespace, you can have a place on the internet personalized to your aesthetic that lets you tell people about who you are instead of an algorithm. And the best part is, you don't have to be an experienced designer or a web page creator to make something great because Squarespace is always there for you with their award-winning 24x7 customer support. Don't settle for being another company's product. Be your own product with a website that's all you with Squarespace. Go to squarespace.com for a free trial and when you're ready to launch, use the offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com. The code is SCARVES. Think it. Dream it. Make it with Squarespace. Boy, do I love a microdose gummy from Lumi Labs. I'm, uh, I'm running low, so I'm going to head over to microdose.com pretty soon and put in another order. Microdosing is a technique I use to steer my mentals in a preferred direction several times a week. 
And uh, I just love it because you can really predict what is going to happen and to what degree it is going to happen because these are very low-dose cannabis gummies that uh, give you an entry-level dose that help you feel just the right amount of good. And they've been super loyal as sponsors to Greatest Trek and Greatest Gen, so I hope you will give them a try. Get 30% off your first order plus free shipping today at microdose.com. Promo code SCARVES. It's available nationwide. That's microdose.com. Promo code is SCARVES for 30% off and free shipping. Microdose.com. Promo code SCARVES. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Boy, Elixia really burns it down with Neelix and his belief system here. What's the point of living? There isn't any. That's what you're finally starting to realize. She's really shredding this whole thing, yeah. making fun of him for believing in this afterlife. and uh, Or any afterlife, really. Mm-hmm. Like, she pivots from great forest isn't a thing and is dumb into nothing matters. Yeah. And you should be embarrassed for thinking it does. You've wasted your entire life believing lies. Yeah. This is pretty shattering for Neelix. And uh, the forest goes all like nightmarish in color. Mm -hmm. It goes from being kind of idyllic night forest to nightmare night forest. Yeah. He finds his own self like covered in lesions from getting killed by that lightning bolt. Yeah. He sees himself and even himself is talking shit. You died on that shuttlecraft, Neelix. Yeah. And then it's almost like a profit experience toward the end. Everybody's mm-hmm. telling him, like, you know what you've got to do. You know what this means, right? Yeah. You, you're doing the math. Yeah. It's interesting how you know what you have to do. Everyone knows the code for that. Yeah. How do we know the code for that? Everybody's watched a lot of samurai movies, I think. Yeah. Guess so. Afterwards... Like we see the post vision and Neelix kind of wakes up and then we fade to black and then we fade to the next day, I guess. And Neelix is walking around like he didn't just experience a huge trauma. Yeah. His first stop is the astrometrics lab where he talks to Seven and he's like, hey, so uh, whoo, <laughs> I really fucking flew off with the handle at you the other night. So I owe you a big apology. And 
So sorry about that. Uh, anyways, you've been great, and I think you're awesome, and you're going to fit in just great with this crew. Just give it some time. Anyways, nice knowing you. I was in my storage room recently, and I and I came across uh, some old high school yearbooks. Uh-huh. And it's funny, like the tone that many of the messages take are often very like positively interested in hangs or whatever. Like so many people that I really didn't know that well in high school were like, hey, we should hang out this summer or whatever. And it never happens. Yeah. And there's such a quality to that in Neelix's commentary here. Like yeah. the fake hopefulness <laughs> of of a thing that isn't going to happen. We should do something sometime, Seven. Yeah. Yeah. It's just Hollywood bullshit, Adam. It really is. That craven ladder climbing yeah. that Neelix is doing here. Next scene is in his restaurant, which is uh, in between shifts. And he's he's just doing some uh, some cleaning up around the space. And Chakotay's like, hey, man, what gives? You missed your session this morning. Yeah. You're skipping therapy. That's not good. Vision quest is not a one-time thing. You Look, here's how they get you. Ben, you have to sign up for a membership at Vision Quest. Yeah. You move through the different phases and it gets more and more expensive as you go. And if you quit early, oh, the penalty. Oof. Do not want that. Yeah. I got to be able to communicate with your other friends in Vision Quest, (laughs) who might be some of your only friends in the world at this point. Yeah. After Vision Quest taught you about how toxic all the other people in your life are. (laughs) Neelix is faking it here. He's like, oh, yeah, I'll totally go to the next session. Later is when that will be. Yeah. Once I finish up work here. After you get off shift. This is the second time in this episode this happens when Chakotay walks out and Neelix takes his apron off by like popping it at the neck. I think it's like a, (laughs) it's like Velcroed behind his neck or something, Uh but uh he really has like a the Neelix maneuver when he takes this thing off. I like how it's a practiced service industry move that you're not yeah. thinking about. You're just subconsciously taking off your apron. Looks good. It's a good it move. Does. It's a nice character choice. As Neelix finishes his shift, he takes that one last look before turning off the lights. It's like mm-hmm. uh, last episode in Cheers, right? Yeah. I don't mean to ruin that for you. I know you're watching Cheers right now. Oh, shit. Spoiler alert. <laughs> they close the bar at the end? Well, Ted Danson turns off the light, and then you see the cigarette lighter start to ignite all the uh, the soaked <laughs> tissue paper in the ceiling that he squirreled away. Because he burns cheers down for insurance money, Ben. Right, right. Neelix uh, goes to his quarters. He records the final episode of the Neelix show. And then uh, compresses the video file and uh, sets it on a delayed email to go to Captain Janeway in an hour. Yeah. There is something really unintentionally funny happening here. If you were to believe that the only two goodbye messages he records are for Tuvok and and Seven, like the (laughs) in-person one, (laughs) and what that would mean for everyone else. Everybody else is like, Jesus, not even for Naomi? Like, she's seven. That is a TNG alien style mystery yeah. that Picard finds irresistible, right? Yeah. Why? Yeah. Why would Neelix just <laughs> talk to Seven and record a goodbye <laughs> message to Tuvok? Why those two? What? Oh! All the people. 
<laughs> Gotta get to the bottom of this. There are many more suicides the day Neelix takes his life. It's people being unable to comprehend the two people <laughs> he gave his messages to. Then Neelix heads down to the holodeck and he boots up Tuvok Program 001, but he introduces Tuvok as a character and subtracts himself as a character, turns off the safeties. Yeah. That's how he does it. And runs that program. He does his final rope in the holodeck. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I've heard of going number three in the holodeck, but this is ridiculous. <laughs> it's Sato. Up on the bridge, Ensign Kim is like, hey, Cap, somebody is in the transporter room trying to beam themselves into the nebula. And she's like, well, stop them. And he's like, I, I can't. <laughs> the transporter room continues to be the only place on the ship with basically zero safety protocols. Anyone <laughs> could just step up there and do whatever they want to do. Like Neelix outfoxed Ensign Kim on locking out bridge controls. Do not buy. Not a good look for Kim. Yeah. Not at all. Tuvok gets on his like Soto Voce voice box to Tenzin Kim and he's like, that's really embarrassing for both <laughs> of us, actually. <laughs> Operations and security really fell down on this one. There's Neelix in that nebula. Get him back. I mean, Neelix gets as far as to lights start to form in his body. Like he is mid beam before Kim yeah. finally puts it together on the bridge and, and stops the beam out. And it gives Chakotay enough time to arrive on the scene. Yeah. It seems like Neelix never expected Chakotay to ask him the same question a second time, which is, what did you see in your vision quest? Yeah. and That was supposed to be in the session. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. And what he's saying is like, yeah, man, like, of course, you had some uncertainty introduced into your worldview. And of course, your vision quest would be about that kind of uncertainty. That doesn't mean that it's like a literal truth. It's like a fucking dream, you idiot. It's metaphorical. In Chakotay's defense, there was never a moment in this episode where he was like, one and done, baby. That's all you need. <laughs> like at every point, he was like, this is going to be a, a drawn out procedure. Yeah. So you need to get ready to sign a contract where regular payments are taken from your stack of latinum. Yeah. I mean, I think that this is like not a totally insane misconception for someone to have. I had a friend that went to therapy and she was like, I just want to get this one thing dealt with. Mm -hmm. And like the therapist kept like asking her to talk about the rest of her life. And she's like, no, 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 no. I don't want to deal with any of that stuff. I just want to deal with this one thing because this is the thing on my mind. Oh, interesting. And I was like, yeah, th that's not, th <laughs> that's not how therapy works. It's not about like tightening a specific bolt, you know, it's yeah. about. It's a holistic approach. It, yeah. Like every, everything in your life influences everything else. This depiction, though, I found really affecting. Like, what Ethan Phillips is doing in this scene is, like, familiar to a person who can spiral. Like, I know what this spiral is like. You only hear your own voice. Yeah. And the voices outside in the affirmative, like, don't seem to matter as much. Yeah. And it takes a combination here to get him off the transporter pad. And, you know, between Chakotay and Enton Wildman both being you know, on comms and then finally showing up. Yeah. There's like a lot of different pressures yeah. to sort the situation. I think it's very interesting how much both Chakotay and Ensign Wildman focus on getting Neelix outside of his own self too. Mm -hmm. Like it's all about like his impact on other people mm -hmm. on the ship. Mm -hmm. Like this is essentially a scene of like trying to talk somebody off of a ledge that yeah. is ready to punch their own ticket. And 
And isn't it so interesting that like in the transporter room, you are kind of up at an elevated position, like the blocking of this suggests it in a language that we are familiar with. Yeah. And it feels really strategic that they are not trying to solve his problem. They're saying like, if you go, it will be devastating for others. And the role that you play in their lives will be a void, you know? It's going to hurt a lot of people, but most specifically, Tuvok and Seven of Nine, for some reason. <laughs> they will never get over how they were the only two to receive any kind of goodbye from you. I thought we were closer than that, Neelix, says Chakotay. Yeah. So I want to go forward and then come back a little bit. Okay. In Naomi's room, Naomi tells Neelix that mommy says you were sick. And I was wondering if that could have suggested a read on this scene that Ensign Wildman knew what was happening here and was not ignorant to what Neelix was doing when by asking a bunch of like, hey, what are you, what's going on in here? You need to come read to my daughter. Like that she actually was in on it. Yeah. Because, yeah, she walks into the worst moment of his life and is like, hey, what, like, what, what gives? You didn't come tuck my daughter tonight. Yeah. Wait until she hears that she did not receive a letter. <laughs> I think the very first thing Neelix needs to do after he's talked off the transport pad is tell the computer to delete. Yeah. No, the next episode is Neelix's George trying to get the tape out of the <laughs> voicemail machine. I don't like coffee. I don't have to come up. Tubak's door code is really difficult to crack. <laughs> <laughs> and Neelix is not permitted to use site-to-site -site transport. Not anymore. Now, yeah, let's take a little while where you're not allowed to use uh, tricorders, Neelix. Yeah. yeah. So they took a suicidal man and took him right into the bedroom of a seven-year-old and uh, <laughs> left him in there with her. Duty calls. Yeah. I mean, this is a retelling of the Great Forest story, only this time... It really slaps. Yeah. And the final moment of the episode is what it's like in Naomi Wildman's dream world. And it is a terror-filled <laughs> nightmare populated with only monsters. Yeah. It's really the cutaway in event horizon of dream yeah. worlds. <laughs> yeah. And that's the note we end on. Yeah. Did you like this episode, Adam? You know... I'm really easy to get along with most of the time. But I don't like bullying. I don't like friends. And I don't like you. I'm disturbed. Yeah, I mean, we had a lot of fun with it because I think it it helps me deal with difficult and traumatic subjects to, like, go for the laugh. Yeah. But, like, that moment in the transporter room was really powerful to me. And it redeemed a lot of the things in the episode that, I mean, were silly or weird, like, I'm thinking specifically of the holodeck recreation of Neelix's death. Right. Like, it's hard to think about that at all after the transporter room scene. And that expression of what it's like to be spiraling the way Neelix does and Ethan Phillips' performance of that was really affecting. And it felt like honest in a really good way. Ethan Phillips is really amazing in this episode and he carries the whole thing yeah. in a way that is a nice reminder. Like he can carry an episode and he's done it before. And I hope he gets more opportunities to do it as the series goes on because this was just a really great one for him. Yeah. It made me think a lot about Loaxana Troy, who I think shares some character DNA with Neelix in that 
she is sort of written to be kind of obnoxious, mm -hmm. but winds up having a depth and dimensionality to her character that is not necessarily obvious when you're just annoyed that the episode is going to be about her being obnoxious to everyone. Mm -hmm. And like Neelix is often the butt of the joke on this show. He's often the comic relief on this show. He very often is the schlemiel, but when he gets a moment of pathos like this, like Ethan Phillips has the goods to make that work. And I think that this episode is not perfect by any means, but as a showcase for his abilities as a performer, it really slaps. So yeah, I think um, overall, I liked it a lot yeah. for that reason. Yeah, me too. Well, do you want to see if we have anything in the Priority One inbox, Adam? I'm headed there right now. Priority One message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Need a supplemental income. Supplemental income? Supplemental. Supplemental. Yeah, it's extra. But the interest alone could be enough to buy this ship. Adam, our first Priority One message is of a promotional nature. And it goes like this. I'm with Ars Arcanum, a Dungeons & Dragons-themed metal band by four guys who are a little bit embarrassed to have a Dungeons & Dragons-themed metal band. Yeah, as you should be. But one thing we're not embarrassed about is our banging new album, Far From The Sun. <laughs> it's all snarling guitars and huge drums, and it tells an epic story about heroes and demons and killer mushroom people. FODs can find two-thirds of the album on Spotify right now, if you like what you hear, we'd love if you would back our Kickstarter. Hell yeah. So for links to the music and the Kickstarter, visit arsarcanum.net. That's A-R-S-A-R-C-A-N-U-M.net. That's right. They should be halfway through this Kickstarter campaign when this episode drops because it runs from uh, beginning August to beginning September. So like a lot of Kickstarter campaigns, it's important to get in there early yeah. So that you're not stressing out the person running the campaign. Like, <laughs> let's make sure that they reach their goal. Yeah, let's do it. Ours Arcanum sound really cool. I mean, uh, I don't think it's like that unusual for metal bands to have some Dungeons and Dragons imagery in their music, right? I mean, that what you're describing is Led Zeppelin, right? Yeah. It's basically what they did. Yeah, so they're picking up the torch and continuing to run with it, and I think you need to uh, support this stuff. Ourscarcanum.net. Do it. Ben, our second priority one message is from Peter, and it's to Zach, and that message goes like this. We've been best friends since you dressed as Data for Halloween in sixth grade. I don't believe this. You're going to put that thing on and parade around like one of them? I was like, we're going to be best friends. <laughs> You're the Tom Paris to my Harry Kim. Congrats on your engagement. Lindsay... You're a great partner for Zach. I hope these scarves support Ben and Adam like I will always support you. It's a hell of a combination. It says here that Zach's wedding is going to be on September 3rd. Hey, wow. Coming right up. Congrats, Zach. Yeah. Congrats, Lindsay. Yeah. Congrats to both. And our gift is a drop-filled P1 that <laughs> yeah. Peter sent in. Usually you only get two drops for a P1, but we're going to throw a, an extra one in for free. It's a special occasion. Yeah. Our final P1 tonight is from Snow Angel. It's to Ben and Adam and Florida Sunshine. It goes like this. 
Thanks for the delightful DD pod in Austin. Ben was so lit. Congrats on Bay to Bay. To FS, my love. Thanks for traveling with me on a wonderful trip to Austin. Where will we go for the next pod? I know it won't be Orlando, LOL, because taint. Been to wrong. Request Ben give it to us. Bark, bark. <laughs> bark! Man, that's a that sounds like some warm honeyed bosom folk. I was just gonna say, yeah. We haven't had the word binturong show up in a P1 in a long time, but it's a it's like a comfy pair of sweatpants. Always nice to get into. Always nice to hear from the buzz again. Yeah, still have my warm honeyed bosom T-shirt. Here's how weird my memory is. Like just saying that you were lit at one of our shows. And that it was in Austin, like that mm-hmm. does nothing for my recollection. <laughs> that feels like so many shows. Yeah. How were you more lit for Austin than any other? Well, I mean, this person only went to Austin, so like that's. It also sounds like I was like notably more lit than you, which I don't really think was the case in Austin. Yeah. But maybe I just came off that way. I don't know. I don't know. Fun show in Austin. Yeah. Hot show. Good, time. Hot. Good times. Well, if you'd like to get a Priority One message on the show, head to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron and set it up. It's a great way to support the production of this program and get the word out to tens of thousands of friends of DeSoto. Hey, Ben. What's that, Adam? Did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda? Incredible. Drunk Shimoda! I gotta say, like, if you're Ethan Phillips and this script lands in your inbox on the lot and you're looking through it. I feel like this has got to be an exciting mm-hmm. day, like probably a little bit nerve wracking too, because mm-hmm. uh, a lot of the episode is going to be on your shoulders. But I think he has got to be having the most fun in this, like getting to work out these muscles that so often he does not get to work out as an actor yeah. in this role. has got to have been a fun time. I mean, as tough as it is to go into the kind of emotional places that he goes to get this performance. I think he's my drunk Shimoda in this episode. Would it surprise you if it was actually more difficult to be the day-to-day Neelix than it is the Neelix of this episode? Because I feel like, at least in this episode, there's an example. Like, whether or not you've seen this person in TV or movies or in real life, like, you know what this expression of frustration is like. Yeah. But no one is is like Neelix day to day and how he is. And so I, I wonder just what is the most difficult type of performance yeah. for Ethan Phillips. Yeah. Who's to say? Yeah. Only him. Yeah. Did you have a drunk Shimoda, Adam? I think this is not a good Chicote episode. I mean, in many parts of it, it is. But for him not to even turn to Neelix in that shuttle recreation Holodeck and be like, hey, are you okay with this? Like before I start in, we both know what we're here to watch, right? (laughs) For there not even to be a, are you okay, dude? There was a terrible look for Chakotay. Surprising that Neelix goes back to him for therapy after that. (laughs) It seemed like a trust would be broken there in some ways that would make the scene that followed impossible. Yeah. That's a good call by you. Weird. And it's such an easy fix with like, a couple of words. Right, right. Maybe they cut it out. I don't know. Maybe they cut it for time. Yeah. Well, that was a fun episode, but uh, let me uh, fire up 
the game of buttholes, the will of the caretaker, and tell you a little bit about the next episode, which is season four, episode 13, Waking Moments. The crew is attacked, which is in quotes, by a species of alien that lives in the human dream state. It sounds like they may be getting schismed next time. I was just going to say, finally. <laughs> finally, we'll use that drop again. Yeah. Do you think that these aliens will call them bitch a lot <laughs> when they get attacked? What is that in reference to? Freddy. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. Does, does he call people bitch a lot? I've never seen one of All those the movies, time. but I know that he lives in the dreams. That's like his he, main thing. And he calls people bitch, yeah. Yeah. I don't support it. One of the worst curse words in the 80s. I think it's bad to call people bitch. You know you're in an 80s horror movie when they're throwing bitch around. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Adam, we're throwing our runabout around. It's currently on scary 22. A couple squares ahead is a banger we could hit. And uh, it looks like we could also potentially hit a Naked Now bathtub episode. Oh, shit. If I hit the six. Please don't. I'm just going to say this. If you land on the bathtub episode, I'm doing a Coco Nono episode. <laughs> I'm not getting in that fucking bath again. <laughs> You're required to learn as you play. Roll. I think it is unfair how often we've had to do a bath episode on this show. It's not about right and wrong, fair and unfair. It's about what the caretaker wants for us to do. We should swap out that square. We should never do it again. <laughs> Adam, you'll be delighted to know that I only rolled a three. Chula! Did I win? Hardly. We jumped over the banger, but uh, fell well short of the naked now. It's a regular oh, episode good. next week. Great. Yeah. I am so relieved. <laughs> I don't want to fight with you, but I feel like that would be a fight. It's random, man. It's just a it's a dice roll. You might hit it next time. You might not. You might roll a six and jump all the way over it. I never roll a six. <laughs> My challenge to you is to do your go-go no-no that you owe the people without doing it at a different square that you also will then owe them. Yeah. Yeah. Then I'm just in constant debt. Yeah. A lifetime of Game of Buttholes debt. You don't want to borrow from Game of Buttholes, Peter, to pay Game of Buttholes, Paul. Yeah. I don't want to be like you coming out of college with a lot of butthole debt. <laughs> Took a lifetime to pay back. Well, if you want to get in a little bit of butthole debt of your own, head to MaximumFun.org slash join. Instead of a membership to support this show, it's how we finance the production of it. Isn't it a miracle? The show comes out every Monday like clockwork. It's sounding great. Yeah. Your support makes it possible. Your support makes it feel good to listen to. I've heard. Let's just think about some of the funny drops that we heard this episode. How much would you say those are worth? Five bucks a month? Oh, yeah. I mean, more, but five is a great start. It's a great way to get your toes wet, you know? You know how uh, how jacking it feels. <laughs> That's like our show. Hmm. But if you give to the show, if you support the show at MaximumFun.org slash join, it's like uh, putting a bag over your head during. Wow. The show becomes way more intense. Extra nice. Uh-huh. <laughs> Adam and Ben do not support putting a bag over your head during masturbation. <laughs> if you don't have it like that, but you do want to support the show in a free way, hey, just recommend it to a friend or leave yeah. us a nice review 
five stars on Apple Podcasts or whatever podcast app you use would be great. That's the best right there. Some F2F. Got to thank Adam Ragusea, who made the original theme song of this show. He's over on uh, YouTube, cooking up great meals, teaching uh, all kinds of interesting stuff about the kitchen. Definitely give him a follow. Also got to thank Dark Materia, who created the original Picard song and was kind enough to let us use it. We got to thank Bill Tilly, the card daddy, who runs the social media accounts at Greatest Trek on Insta and Twitter. Go follow those accounts. What are you doing? Yeah, all the news goes into those accounts. Yeah. All the jokes. I mean, not all the jokes. We save some of the jokes for the show. Yeah. Hey, if you want to sign up for our mailing list, gach.biz slash mail. We've got to thank Wendy Pretty, the producer of this program, yeah. editor of this program. The best. Best of the biz. Yep. Nick Didmore made the artwork. Sure did. Buy something at podshop.biz. Oh, yeah. Got to do that. Which is most definitely launched and active. Yeah. And with that, we will be back at you next week with another great episode of Star Trek Voyager and an episode of The Greatest Generation Voyager that learns not to fuck with the wrong aliens, bitch. <laughs> is that what Freddy sounds like? That's almost exactly how he sounds. Like, I just closed my eyes. Does he do puns? Or is that the Crypt Keeper? Doesn't he do limericks? Uh, I think that's Leprechaun. There once was a bitch from Nantucket. <laughs> <laughs> Org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned, audience supported.